Hi, I'm Holly. And I am Danielle, and you're listening to the Spooky Hour. A slightly more positive Spooky Hour this week because we're now both vaccinated. Yeah. We both have our step one now. I got mine literally like less than two hours ago. So she's got um, her microchip and we're all set. Yeah, I could I could feel like the little Martians marching around my my mm-hmm. blood stream or whatever the fuck they do. Yeah. No, I I feel fine. I feel I was telling Carl, I was like, I feel tired and I think I have a headache, but that's also just like my constant state. So You're like this is just my <laughs> my everyday normal. <laughs> I am always just kind of tired and have a headache. Like <laughs> But then again, Ontario's back in a lot like well we were all in a lockdown, but it's been extended. So This one like I get it. It makes sense. They want to try to vaccinate as many people as they can, but it's just like I even watched the announcement. Like no, I just I didn't. <laughs> I can't even I didn't handle care. it anymore. I, just, I know it's... I just... I'm going to assume I'm not leaving my house till at least September. That's my assumption. That's what I'm going with. Like, I get the lockdown and I get, like, certain things, but you can't sit there and tell me that Canadian Tire can sit open for a curbside pickup, but the mom and pop shop can't. Mm-hmm. And you can't convince me that I can't go camping and it's outdoors when I'm no one else is around, or even golf courses. Like, you can limit yeah, people. Yeah, th- so. that's what kills me. That's what kills me. And, like... Uh, if you look at the lineups at some of the, like, big, big stores and stuff, like the Costco's and the Ikea's and stuff like that, those lineups are fucking packed. Yeah. <laughs> no one's distancing in the lineups. It makes no fucking sense that they can stay open, but I can't go to, like, my local park. Yeah. I did it. it I went no out sense. and I went hiking and... Oh, I, I've been hiking. <laughs> the, the government can kiss my ass at that point. I don't care. There's... Uh, there's like a, a pro tip for people in Ontario slash our region. Never go to like the main trails. <laughs> yeah, no. The ones that you could like name off the top of your head. Don't go to those ones. Go like as north as you can. <laughs> yeah. That's usually the best. Uh, we went on uh, a new one yes yesterday or two days ago. I can't remember. And there was no one else on the entire trail. Yeah. The entire trail. It was fucking wonderful. Yeah. When we went, there was like two other cars and we didn't even see anybody it's great i love it but when you go to like the one the like the the usual ones the popular ones like people are parked on the side of the road um we went to this popular one (laughs) near us i don't want to like say what it's called i'll tell you you know what what kills me you know what fucking kills me about this it's like you know i don't want to name it because i don't know why i don't want you guys knowing where i live yet your instagram is public and you tag where you go hear me out though this one's like really close to my house oh that's fair and i'm saying more than just like pickering whereas on instagram i just tag like pickering and that's I fair. Technically, don't even live in Pickering. Yeah, true. <laughs> there's like I I don't know why I was thinking about that the other day, and I was like, this girl, like, I won't say like like I'll I'll say I live in Durham region. I don't mind saying I live in Durham region, but yeah. I don't want people to know like certain areas, I Durham's guess, huge, that are like so. yeah, exactly. But now everyone's locked inside. Everyone wants to get out of the fucking house, and I don't and blame them. I totally yeah, I totally get it. But like it sucks. But it's <laughs> that's the whole that's the like this whole pandemic is in a nutshell is like I totally understand everything, but it still totally sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it does fucking suck. But that's it. That's all I got. That's it. I guess we'll just get spooky. Yeah, we're gonna get spooky because I think we both have like somewhat long ones. I'm gonna try to talk fast. We'll see how well this works. <laughs> I didn't get my water. Do a Busta rhyme style. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. Um so today I'm gonna talk about the Sally House. Okay. Uh so once again we're diving into America's most haunted place. Um, is that what it says? <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> um, so this place is extremely well known, especially like in the ghost hunter community. Um, so this house was built between 1867 and 1871 in Atkinson, Ka- Kansas. Um, now, according to records, the house was originally owned by the Finney family. It's either Finley or Finney. I think it's Finney. Mm-hmm. Um, it was purchased by Michael C. Finney. So basically, whenever this house was built. I'm pretty sure they bought the property and then they built the home. Mm-hmm. Um, and this family's basically lived and owned the property for about a century. Um, now, Michael C. Finney ended up passing away in the home on September 27th, 1872. His wife, two sons, and a daughter were left. Like, that's who he left. And that's they still lived there. In 1882, um, one of Michael's sons, Charles C. Finney, 
or sorry, so one of Michael's sons, uh, Charles Finney, started working um, for Dr. Dan Holland as a bookkeeper, and it kind of like inspired him to go for his doctorate degree. Um, also, weird fact, apparently he was also a figure skater, so <laughs> there's that. It, was this like, you said this was the 1800s? Yeah, and he was a figure, He's a figure skating doctor in the yeah. 1800s. Killing it. Wild. <laughs> He probably uh, operated with his skates. I honestly would not put it past him. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Charles received his M, uh, medical uh, degree in 1894 from the Beaumont Hospital Medical College in St. Louis. Is that St. Louis or St. Louis? I We've had this discussion before. <sighs> and I never remember what's correct. I don't. I It's either one. Okay, everyone. So he ended up opening a practice with a few other doctors in his hometown. Um, now, there is a story or legend surrounding a little girl named Sally. Um, so I'm going to talk about her death, but it comes into play in a bit, obviously, considering the house is called the Sally House. Yeah. <laughs> um, so apparently Sally wasn't feeling well and her mother was completely frantic and brought her daughter to uh, Dr. Charles Finney um, at his home in Atkinson or atchinson sorry um now this is iffy because reports say she somehow is like connected to the home and some and like some others say she was like legit brought to the house in this state um so they're not sure if um she was brought to this home and then died there or if she was brought to um charles finney to be cared for and because that's his house that's where after her death she kind of like she just like attached to yeah yeah so they're not really sure but that's apparently what it is um so but any who's it uh i turned into holly there for a second <laughs> i laughed yeah uh dr finney immediately diagnosed her with appendicitis and she needed surgery asap to remove her appendix before it exploded she was he like whipped out those skates yeah and, <laughs> and helped so she was only like six or seven years old when this Aww. happened however during her surgery her appendix ended up bursting and she died on the autopsy table Oh, that's terrible. autopsy table. That's terrible. <laughs> she died on convenient for the fucking corner, yeah. though. <laughs> yeah, no, she died on the the surgery table. This is terrible. This is going. We're done. Uh, you did say we needed to be more crude. Before I know. Recording. Oh god. Oh god. Uh, I said we have to be more crude so more things can haunt us. If anyone's yeah. feel like oh, this bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now the doctor continued his business and him and his family stayed in the home for quite a while. And once Charles had passed away, the home was rented out. Um, another family had rented the home in 1948 and only stayed there for a short time, but it's unknown why they left. So from 1948 to 1958, it's not recorded on who lived or rented the home at the time, but in 1958, it was rented by Ethel Anderson who left in 1990. So she was there for quite some time. Yeah. Um, uh, and this brings, and then this brings us to Tony and Deborah Pickman, who rented the home and moved in December thirty first, nineteen ninety two. Fun fact: I was ten ten days old at this point. Aww, literally ten days old. We little alien Danielle. Yeah, <laughs> here to send to destroy the earth. Um, <laughs> now the Sally House really got known of its like paranormal activity because of Tony and Deborah. Um, at that time, Tony and Deborah were recently married. They were a young couple and were expecting their first child when they moved into the Sally house. So now there was nothing weird about this house at first. Like it looks, even to this, this day, it looks like a normal house on the outside. I mean, it's actually pretty cute. I'd probably live there. <laughs> um, at first, they really had no idea anything was happening. They said um, at first the home was quiet. There was like a few moments where they had like easily explainable situations happening like their dog was like barking aimlessly into the nursery room but it stopped after oh. about a week um and their cats would like stare off into space and like and sometimes it looked like they were like following something around the room but like that. cats do that so like explainable right we always see uh, our cat doing that and like sometimes she does it where my dad used to sit on the couch like she sits in a spot and just like swats yeah and i go over there with a flashlight like looking for like fruit flies like dust flecks anything and like there's never anything, anything there, there. <laughs> <laughs> like this is terrifying yeah um so at first they really had no i oh i already said that um <laughs> And so as the weeks went on, they started noticing just like more and more weird stuff. Tony and Deborah had installed a ceiling fan and like new lights in the living room. 
one night they were just hanging out and the lights just randomly dimmed really low and it happened almost every single night after this they had no dimmer switch so it's not like the switch was just malfunctioning um but initial reaction is like what the fuck is wrong with my electrical um the light was the only one to ever dim so no other lights and like no like no other lights in the house would dim and there was like no other electrical like lamps or anything that Mm -hmm. did it um they did have it checked out considering they just put them in so but the electrician the electrician ruled out bad wiring and nothing was determined to be the cause like he couldn't figure it out um so there was also activity vamping up in their nursery room the mobile musical thing that goes on like the crib yeah would like randomly turn on and play music the electronic yeah the electronic toys in their room would sometimes turn off and on at random and it not like it's not like it would play like the toys like music or like noise or whatever it's supposed to do it almost was like just a buzzing hum creepy that wouldn't like turn off yeah right like do you remember when your furbies would start to die and their voices would get all like warped and you'd hear just like like a the buzzing it's like a demon (laughs) yeah yeah we had one and uh it was in like the bottom of the closet type of thing and it just randomly started like it was talking and it sounded like a demon but then it did like like a buzzing like it was just like "Eh," like it got stuck on a word kind of thing yeah that's when you throw it out horrifying (laughs) yeah not change the batteries just yeah (laughs) that's done um so also like their portable phones would also have issues and like would randomly disconnect and like reconnect and just make weird noises mm-hmm. um so a lot of this could be like fully blamed on like faulty wiring i mean the house was built in the 1800s but like they also had that shit checked out so <laughs> mm, i don't know um now they ended up having their son uh he was or sorry so they um deborah ended up birthing their son his name was taylor um and because of being like brand new parents they sort of thought the next part was all kind of normal so their son would just never sleep and would be awake almost every hour of the night um the toys in the room would still make those weird hums and no matter what they tried to um do like to get him to sleep um either like feed or like cuddle whatever you do to soothe the child nothing helped (laughs) (laughs) i like think about that i was like i have no idea which is even funnier yeah (laughs) um so they're also starting to have issues with like other electrical like the tv would just randomly turn on and off and the vacuum would also turn off and on so just weird stuff like that um but what you else to turn the vacuum on at least like clean it while you're haunting you know what right? i mean like use it like yeah like make yourself vacuum useful. my carpets while you're haunting me yeah. you're not paying rent you're living here for yeah. free <laughs> Um, but what was weird is that their neighbors, Carol and Dawn, had ended up asking Tony and Deborah why they always kept their upstairs light on. This light ended up being the nursery room, and Deborah had explained that Taylor was sleeping in their room, so maybe they were just seeing the light from, like, the hallway. But the neighbors were like, nope, it's the nursery room, and the lights are, the light is literally always on. Like, it was all night long. That's um, Yeah. So they were also finding mold, which again, like old home, but they were yeah. finding it in like weird things like their Tupperware and their cabinet, um, their dog's food bowl, magnets on the fridge, like oh, weird, weird shit. Yeah. I would be so What's that fucking stuff annoyed. Is it plasma? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. Like yeah. the ghost. Are we doing stuff? like a Ghostbusters? Like, yeah. Plasma. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Deborah's sister ended up coming to visit her and her, um, so wow i fucked that up already Um, (laughs) so deborah's sister ended up coming to visit her new nephew and also to sort of help out like tony and deborah because she was like kind of aware of like the difficulty where they were having getting taylor to sleep um so um her deborah's sister's named karen so now karen's last day there they all had visited tony's parents um it was like five or ten minutes away from like their home but while they were there tony's sister jenny stopped by and said she had like some confession to make um a few hours prior she went to their home and dropped off a high chair for them um but she ended up going inside the home to peek at the nursery because she's nosy <laughs> um deborah didn't care and said it wasn't like really a problem and wasn't sure why jenny was so rattled and like nervous by this yeah. but nothing was really like jenny didn't really say anything further from that um so tony deborah and karen and also like lock your fucking doors like, what, is, <laughs> what is wrong with people <laughs> dude do you, like back in the day no one no one no. ever locked their doors i ever. don't know why i can't imagine you know why so many people fucking died because you didn't lock your goddamn door <laughs> um so 
<laughs> the whole like serial killer boom in the 70s could have been solved if everybody just locked, locked their door, their door. <laughs> i'm a problem solver okay <laughs> um so tony deborah and karen and the kid ended up leaving 20 or so minutes later to go home and this was around like 10 p.m uh, Tony had gone upstairs and found the nursery to have all the stuffed animals placed on the floor. He initially thought Deborah did it and asked her why she would do that. And she was like, uh, no, that was not me. Um, now, all these stuffed animals were placed right into the middle of the room. However, they formed a circle and most of the stuffed animals were bears and their backs were facing the inner part of the circle. So they were like oh facing God. out. A yeah. teddy bear cult? Basically. <laughs> um, so. <I'm> <laughs> That's, I would be terrified. I would leave. I mean, you, you don't own the home. Like you, you're renting. Get the yeah, fuck out of there. Yeah, you have no obligations anymore. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they thought they were being pranked because apparently, again, they never locked their doors. Um, at first, Deborah thought of Jenny, but didn't really think it was like in her nature to do so. But she called her anyway because there was, they really had no idea how this would have happened otherwise. Uh, Deborah asked Jenny if she had seen anything weird in the nursery. Um with like the stuffed animals because as i said before jenny went to go check it out and jenny said no uh they ended up having small talk after that but eventually jenny was like why did you ask me why do you ask me that and if there's a if it's like is anything wrong and deborah explained what they came home to so jenny was immediately freaked out and said that when she visited the home she had this very unsettling and overwhelming feeling when she went upstairs to the nursery and it actually like made her leave the house pretty quickly she then drove to her parents house where tony and deborah were and they were there was like a lot of people there to go see mm -hmm. their, the kid um so she thought it wasn't a good time or like place to bring up what she had experienced in their house but she said she didn't touch the stuffed animals she just had this really weird unsettling vibe creepy yeah and like if you did that and you had like an unsettling vibe i feel like it's your responsibility to tell them because like what if you have an unsettling vibe because someone's actually in the home yeah like there's an actual danger <laughs> yeah because they don't they're stupid and they don't lock their doors <laughs> you're so rattled at that <laughs> i hate that my door is locked right now and it's freaking five o'clock in the afternoon so um uh so either someone went into the house because again lock didn't lock the doors <laughs> or that i literally wrote that i'm sorry <laughs> or they have a ghost which was crossing their minds at this point um so deborah put the stuffies back and the three ended up going downstairs but while descending the stairs karen had randomly turned around because she got like a weird feeling and she said guys the nursery light is back on i thought you turned it off and mm. tony responded with i did nope yeah they slowly they slowly went back up the stairs um all three of them at this point were extremely freaked out and as they peered into the room the bear from the wicker chair was laying on its back in the middle of the room so they if they well they even went um two lengths to see if like the animals like had wires on them to see if someone was like actually like pranking them yeah um just because they were so rattled by this um so they checked the house to see if someone was there and nothing they tested it again um turned off the light and went downstairs and looked back up but the light stayed off so i don't like that yeah i don't like that either it's like a teddy bear ritual <laughs> it's it's really like that's what i keep thinking is just like this evil teddy bear cult like stewie is their leader from family yeah. guy like <laughs> i would actually join that cult it would be hilarious. i would 100 percent join that cult yeah. <laughs> um so later on like in that evening um deborah said she had to pee and went upstairs to the bathroom everyone was nervous so tony and karen stayed at like the bottom of the stairs waiting for deborah if you haven't done that you have not been scared enough to be in your home I used to make, I'd make someone go up with me. Yeah, I used to make Stuart stand in front of the washroom door at my, at Danielle, my parents' home. Yeah, I, there's been times where Danielle has made me, like, granted, we were, like, very drunk at the time, so this could be a factor, but she's, like, she's been peeing and she'd be like, open the door crack and just, like, leave your hand so I can, like, see your hand when I'm peeing. Like, you know what I mean? So yeah, she I knows to, I'm there. Yeah. yeah. It was, like, terrifying. My, my parents' house is terrifying. I'm so. fairly certain more than once you've made me, like, actually come in the bathroom and, like, turn my back to you. Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. I feel like... Your parents' house is creepy, though. If anyone stays in my house, you would do the exact same. I'm being serious. Yeah. You I'm would. pretty sure I did do the... Sometimes I would just leave the door open, to be honest. Yeah. That's, like, the safest bet. Just leave the door open. No one yeah. can watch you. <laughs> but you won't get attacked by a ghost. It's fine. I do the opposite in my basement. I close the door so I don't see anything. I'd rather just not see it. <laughs> but then you have, like, that creepy door to the left. 
Oh, I know. Yeah, the I have like a door that goes into the furnace room. Yeah, for no fucking reason. I don't know why I need to go to the furnace room from my bathroom, but it just looks haunted. I don't know how to explain it. It's it like it's haunted. Relatively new build. We built the basement like ten years ago, and it just looks haunted. I don't yeah. Know. And it makes weird noises, so it's just uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. Um, I also don't like peeing in Holly's basement. I don't like peeing in anywhere. general. Yeah. yeah just, <laughs> nowhere safe. Um, that's a, re- that's a real reason you bought a house. You just didn't want to hang out in the basement anymore. <laughs> that's exactly it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm done. <laughs> so on the way back from the bathroom, Deborah checked the nursery. The light was off, but the bear was back on the floor. Oh. So everyone freaked the fuck out because that like every time they went in the room, like Karen or sorry, Deborah would like pick up the toys and put them mm-hmm. back, but they just kept, it kept going back. Um, so the next day, Karen flew home and Tony's brother, Greg, was visiting the same day. Tony explained what happened and found it kind of funny. So Greg, because, you know, big tough guy now, your brother's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Greg walked around like taking photos uh, with a digital camera or not a digital camera with um Oh my disposable God, disposable camera that's it yeah um he focused on a bear that was sitting next to one of the tvs and before i think they had an obsession with bears i don't know <laughs> and before he took the photo he asked if like the ghost wanted its photo taken and when he took the photo apparently the bear spun around at the same time nope. uh yeah bye uh tony and greg freaked out and called for deborah they decided to leave um and stay at their in-laws for the day so tony was putting his son taylor in the car and deborah noticed that he was like when he was like bent over a bit um he ended up like bolting up like straight like something like hit him or mm-hmm. something like that and he kind of grabbed his like lower back so deborah asked him what was wrong and he said he must have been bit by something but like he had a sharp pain uh, when they got to Tony's parents' house, Deborah asked to see Tony's back to see if it was, like, an actual bug bite and, like, do you gotta go to the hospital, bro? Mm-hmm. Um, and when she lifted his shirt, she noticed three scratch marks down the center of his back. Creepy. Yeah. Um, also, the photo that they took, it's, like, you can see the photo. I'll explain where I got all this information in a bit um, and why I have a timeline for it. Um, <laughs> uh, but, like, the photo's, like, it looks like, you know, when you, like, take a photo but you move really fast? yeah it's like blurry like it's like that i'm like i can't see i can't even see the bear so i have no idea what i'm looking at <laughs> um so tony and deborah ended up bringing in barbara connor who is a psychic medium tony knew her because of a co-worker uh so barbara visited the home and noted a little girl that she was picking up on she said this little girl's name is sally and she was very easy to communicate with uh according to barbara sally is a seven-year-old girl who had pain in her abdomen hand and mouth uh, Sally also said that Deborah did a lot of things that bugged Sally. Um, and Sally thought Deborah was too bossy because there was too many rules in the house. <laughs> <laughs> Little brat. <laughs> right? Uh, so Barbara said that Sally just needs to be told, like, discipline and suggested that they, when they come home, to remind Sally of the rules and be patient but firm. So basically they just had a ghost kid on their hands and they had to take just, care of. Just have to ground the ghost. Yeah. <laughs> you go to what, the corner. Ghost. This, yeah. She also suggested that... Um, uh, to get Sally some items that she might, um, like, some, like, toys and stuff. So she'll leave, like, Taylor's toys alone. Mm-hmm. So now they have two fucking children they have to take care of. Oh One they can't even see. <laughs> <laughs> so Sally also said she was being, um, uh, they, she said that Sally is kind of, like, protective over Taylor as well. Um, in, like, some kind of way. Like, she would never try to hurt the kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, Barbara also said that Sally would not leave the home as, as it's her safe place and she felt comfortable there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So according to Barbara, Sally doesn't like having everyone in the nursery. And apparently Sally has her own little corner that is hers and that she just likes to stand and stare at people in. Creepy. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So basically with Barbara's visit is that Sally isn't leaving and they had to treat her like a child and just acknowledge that she's there. So like if like the TV turns off, be like, oh my God, Sally, don't do that. Like discipline the ghost. I would feel so weird. A ghost. Parent a newborn and a ghost at the same time. Yeah. I would like. I would rather move. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm like, you know what? I don't care enough about yeah. that. <laughs> Can you imagine like someone walking in your home and you're like yelling at a ghost child? Like, <laughs> go to your room. <laughs> like, <laughs> so weird. Um. So after now, after Barbara's visit, they tried to just live normally. 
it seemed to be quiet for the most part and just like the normal tv off sort of deal um they took a lot of photos around the home too and what and in one of the photos they had left like paper and crayons out for sally and the crayon in the photo was ended up like standing up on its own like kind of like she grabbed it and was like writing with it like that's creepy they also got photos with like orbs and like swirls like mist almost in them Mm mm-hmm so some photos have blue swirls in them and according to barbara that means like happiness so it's considered to be like a good sign like it's sally but she's like happy oh like her aura or whatever they yeah Yeah. something like that um so in october 1993 apparently tony saw sally for the first time um he had just got home from work he was working nights and got home at like 7 a.m he was getting a drink in the kitchen and turned around to see a little girl standing across from him he realized she was wearing clothes that weren't from at that time and he ended up like dropping the glass to the floor yeah, like just same. in like shock <laughs> it shattered and he looked down at the shattered glass like qu- like he just looked down and looked back up and then she was gone like a horror movie scene literally yeah Yeah. literally so now in december of 1993 they had a christmas party with their like their families and a bunch of people were there um when the night was like winding down and one of tony's brothers went to grab his family's coats out of the master bedroom i find that every family does that when did you ever have they just throw the coats in the master bedroom every time i went to a big family party especially on my mom's side everybody put their coat in the master bedroom i don't know i i also didn't really have very many like big family parties but Mm. like we at when we would do christmas and stuff at my parents house we just everybody would pile it up on the banister there'd be like you know 20 million 10 12 (laughs) coats on the banister (laughs) and then your banister just like breaks sucks for the first person to leave and the first like if they were the first one to get there they have to take all the coats off yeah like I'm just gonna if they have we if our world ever goes back to normal, my family has a big party on my mom's side, which I literally never go to anyways. <laughs> I'm gonna go to it just so you can experience the coat just to thing. see it. Okay. Yeah, you're gonna you'll come with me because <laughs> it's weird. I like I mean it's not weird, but it's weird. It happens in movies all the time too, and that always happens to be the room that like the two people are making out in kind of thing. So you open the door to get your coat, and you just see people making out. <laughs> oh my god, what, would that be such a weird family party? <laughs> <laughs> I was talking more like high school party. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, no, that would be a pretty fucked up family party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so back to this this Christmas party. Um, so one of Tony's brothers went to go grab the, the coats out of the master bedroom. When he was walking there, he noticed a mop head and it was starting to smoke and it actually like caught fire. Uh, he grabbed it and put it in the sink. The mop was like on like a carpeted floor, kind of like just leaning up against the wall. Mm-hmm. And so... If he had not noticed, their house probably would have fucking burnt down. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and this was the first encounter ever like this. Apparently, Deborah started yelling at Sally, saying she can't start fires to get their attention. Yeah. So, so I guess the big thing was, like, Sally doesn't like a lot of people in the home. So with having that many people, Sally was yeah, like, yo, fuck this. Yeah, she was this. like, fuck it. I'm yeah. gonna burn the house down. I'm a seven-year-old. You know the meme, the little girl with the house burning down yeah, behind her? her? Yeah. That's <laughs> Sally, everyone. Um... So now fast forward to spring of 1994, Deborah was doing laundry and this gets, I I didn't make it graphic, but it's graphic and it's sad. Mm-hmm. Um, so Deborah was doing laundry and she noticed that the clothes that she just pulled out of the dryer were still damp. So she threw them back in. Uh, Tony tried to help with the chores and started like vacuuming, but the vacuum like always just turned itself off. Um, and in that moment, they heard the thumps coming from the laundry room. Um, they didn't think anything of it since their house was fucked anyways. So Tony kept like turning the vacuum on and like trying to vacuum. Uh, but the vacuum kept turning off and he was starting to get rattled. But again, thought nothing of it because it's something they're used to. Um, they continued their day until that evening when Deborah went to go get the clothes out of the dryer because she leaves it in the dryer like the rest of us. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when she noticed, um, dark brown spots on the items in the dryer and realized it was actually blood. She then found one of her cats in the dryer. Oh, dead. Fuck. Yeah. So now, Tony... honestly, I thought it was going to be the baby. So it no, wasn't as bad as I thought it was no. going to be. I was like ready to cry. No. I mean, I would still cry at cats because that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, yes, but. <laughs> Um, so now Tony and Deborah believe Sally was trying to turn the vacuum off, like when she was turning it off to try to warn them. Um, so like the, they could hear like the thumping uh-huh. and um but like why the fuck was the cat in the dryer how did you not notice how that? did it get in there i like 
I guess when she had the door open, like they sneak out of the doors really fast. I like maybe it dodged in, but damn, yeah, like maybe when she had like was like feeling like the damp stuff and yeah, I don't know. I don't. You have to like really not be paying attention though. (laughs) Yeah, you got to be like so zoned out. Like yeah, so stressful. But they believe Sally. It wasn't Sally that did it, and they thought she was trying to help. Like yeah, that's why she kept turning off the vacuum. Um, so now Tony and Deborah's storyline and the accounts of what happened in this house, um, and their interviews with Barbara are all on the Sally house website, which is why I was able to tell you all this. <laughs> um, I'll include it in the show notes, but I'm pretty sure it's just like the sallyhouse.com. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm just not going to talk about everything, um, that they talk about on this website, but you can read it all there. I did exclude some things and I've like briefly went over like these situations like there's a lot more to the christmas story there's a lot more that i didn't even discuss because this episode could be a year long and (laughs) but if you want to read about their encounters in the house please go check that out they have some like fabulous information regarding the home too and it's all done by tony and deborah pickman like the website was built by them oh that's cool yeah so it's all their recounts they have all the pictures up there it's crazy oh wow yeah so oh, look at that i know so now the pickmans moved out of the home in 1994 i'm not sure why they did um but they, again they were only renting but after them the Leggett family lived there for a few years from 1990 1999 to 2001 um and they have been interviewed saying their daughter had some strange incidences in the home um but nothing like physical uh ever happened um so just like noises and like toys turning on um the home the home remains vacant however you can now stay there for a fee um <laughs> i believe it's 125 dollars a person usd uh they per night per night and That's i think ridiculous you, yeah you can only stay there one night and you have to bring in like you have to bring in like your own like sleeping bag like pillow everything yeah um so they encourage people to try and capture things in like ho and like in hopes of like they get something on like an EVP, a video, or photographs. Mm-hmm. And this place has really become like a huge spot for the paranormal investigators to go because every time you go there, there's always something. People who have visited report having toys being moved on their own. They hear footsteps, they catch orbs, um, and weird mist caught on camera. Uh, the blinds on the windows will move up and down now. <laughs> um, men seem- Why did you look at me when you started talking about blinds, Danielle? Because <laughs> Hollywood probably touch the blinds and break them. <laughs> They'll probably charge you $150 because they'll replace the blinds. Oh, <laughs> um, so men that go there seem to get attacked a lot more in terms of like scratch marks and stuff. So whatever there is physical um so now there are no records of a sally ever living in town so the legend of sally is quite a mystery some people believe sally really isn't haunting the place but it's something more demonic and evil and we all know demons like to portray themselves as children yeah um some people believe that there is a second entity in the home who might be behind the more violent attacks such as like lighting the fires and scratching people so some people believe that Sally is there, but there's something else that's also there. It's possible, yeah. Yeah. But it's apparently, like, this story didn't get, it didn't really gain attraction until Tony and Deborah Pickman moved in, because um, they started that website, and they're, it's it's just insane. Like, their their website and their reaccounts of everything is just, it's crazy how much happened to them. Um, but they, again, never owned the home and they haven't lived there since 1994, but they upkept the website and they're still going ham on it and they want people to believe. <laughs> they're still going ham on it. Yeah. They still want Sally's story to be out there. And yeah, that's the Sally That's house. crazy. I totally want to look at the, the pictures and everything. And then we're adding that to the spooky hour bucket list. Yeah. <laughs> it's been on like every ghost show you could possibly think of. Like, yeah, you can look up YouTube videos. You can see people's pictures. Like, there is a lot of shit that's caught in this house. It's kind of just like your perfect haunted house, though. Like, high yeah. activity, creepy child. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's exactly. Just the perfect recipe. I like that. That was creepy. And apparently, I'm- the people that like own the home, like, they, um, like, it's, it's vacant in terms of like, there's no renters in the home, mm-hmm. but someone owns the home. And instead, they, they kind of rent it out, kind of like an Airbnb yeah. in a way, but through their the- website worst airbnb ever (laughs) yeah and uh and so you can go stay and do all that fun stuff i think you can have up to 10 people but you have to have a minimum of two um 
and yeah they leave like the like when no one's staying there they leave the radio on for sally just to like oh, appease that's kind her. of weirdly cute in yeah. a weird way i don't that's know nice <laughs> it's just it's so creepy and like just yeah i like that one a good old classic haunting i know good one i guess we'll talk about murder, murder. now um this case was bananas i really really enjoyed this one (laughs) danielle stefani over there um so i'm gonna start by saying that this is like a really sad and brutal murder um i'm gonna put like a slight graphic warning because it's not like i tried not to be gory but it's just kind of one of those cases where it's like uh yeah it involves children and like those cases are always just like uh um so Catherine Eastburn was a 32-year-old army wife to Gary Eastburn, who was a captain in the United States Air Force. Uh, the couple had met in the early 70s and were married in 1975. They had three daughters, Cara, Aaron, and Jana, who were five, three, and just shy of two uh, in 1985 when this, take, uh, this case takes place. Uh, so it was May of 1985, and Gary was off for training in Alabama while Catherine and her young children stayed behind in Fayetteville, F- Fayetteville, Fayetteville, forgot to look that up, oops, uh, North Carolina. <laughs> um, Gary had just been given the opportunity to join the Royal Air Force in England, and the family was preparing to move there. Uh, they had placed an ad in the local paper hoping to rehome their English setter named Dixie to Aww. a loving home because they couldn't take her with uh, them. Apparently, she had, like, behavioral issues, and they didn't think she'd make it through, like, the the quarantine process that they have to go through when they travel, apparently. Uh, you don't know was... until you try. <laughs> You're so cute. Um on May 7th, 1985, a man named Tim Hennis replied to the ad, hoping to get his current dog a new friend. Uh, Tim was a 27-year-old army sergeant who lived close by in the military community. So they lived on, like, what is it called? Like, a base where, like, all of the families kind of live in the same area? It's something. I honestly have never understood it, but I yeah. think it's something like that. Like, yeah. the whole town was, like, army families, basically. Um, so he so weird. <laughs> Yeah. Um, So Tim was tall. He had blonde hair, a really thick mustache, and he drove a white Chevette. This is not a dating profile. It just comes up later. So just try to remember that. Um, (laughs) Catherine invited... uh, Whoa. Why can't I read? Is this the COVID vaccine? Um, Catherine invited him to her home where he met the dog and decided they were a good fit. Tim claims... Okay, so they they haven't left yet. They're still... No, they're still in, in they're still in the country, but the the dad is out of state okay. right now for training. Okay. Um uh Tim claims Catherine stood in the doorway and watched as he loaded Dixie into his truck. He said she waved as they drove away. On May 11th, 1985, Catherine failed to answer a scheduled call from her husband. The couple spoke every Saturday so he could check in on the family while he was away for training. Uh, there was not much that Gary could do from so far away, so he just kind of like sat by the phone and waited for her call. Uh, the next day was Mother's Day, so the Eastburn's neighbor, Bob, thought it was strange that the house seemed somewhat empty. There was a small pile of newspapers at the front door, but he noticed Catherine's car was still in the driveway. He rang the doorbell, but no one answered. He could hear the baby, Jana, screaming from inside the home, so he Aww. called the local sheriff's department and waited for them to arrive. Um, yeah, this is where it gets sad. Um, um, an officer arrived at the Eastburn's home. Uh, the door was locked, so he cut the like window screen and climbed into Jana's bedroom she was still in her crib crying and wailing in distress the officer passed her through the window to bob instructing him to seek medical care for her the offer uh wow the officer continued into the home where he noticed the unmistakable smell of death he exited the room and looked down the hallway where he saw the bodies laying on the ground at the end of the hall he immediately radioed for the homicide unit to come to the home the bodies were those of five-year-old Kara, three-year-old Aaron, and their mother, Catherine. Kara had been stabbed multiple times and was found curled up under a Star Wars blanket. Aaron had received blunt force trauma to her chest and back. Uh, Catherine was found with obvious signs of sexual assault and had been stabbed 15 times. Oh, my God. All three victims were found with their throats cut. Um, That's 22. Brutal. Yeah, it's really, really brutal. I, I don't like when kids are involved. No. I try to, like, keep the description like short when it involves children because it's just it makes me sad um 22 month old Jana survived the ordeal but was severely dehydrated and on the brink of death due to starvation 
uh, forensics were taken from the crime scene, including hair, fingerprints, and semen samples. A luminal test showed that a large amount of blood had been cleaned up from the scene already, uh, but the bodies were left there, which makes sense. Um, Detective Jack Watts called Gary Eastburn that day and told him to come home right away as there was a death in the family. Details were spared until he arrived back home in North Carolina. Uh, so Gary gave interviews with the police and gave all the information that he could. He mentioned the ad for the dog and the missed call, but that was all he knew. After the bodies were removed from the home, investigators did like a walkthrough to see if Gary noticed anything missing. Catherine's bank card, an envelope containing $300, and the password for the bank card were the only items missing from the home. Uh, a witness Wait, you came- have cards with your bank password on it? Uh, I feel like people wrote their pins down back in the day, which is like the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> no offense to these people, but no, that's like it's just so unsafe. That's why I was like, yeah. Oh. So we have people that write their bank information down on a Leave card. Their doors open. Uh, yeah, I was like, we have people God that unlock damn. their doors. Like <laughs> so stressful. <laughs> Um, so a witness came forward very early in the investigation. His name was Patrick Cohn, and he was known to police for being a bit of a shit disturber. Um, however, he shared some vital information with them. He told them that he had seen a man at 3.30 a.m. the morning that the bodies were discovered. The man was wearing a members-only jacket, which is, like, a brand from the 80s. It's kind of those, like, not a puffer jacket, but those, like... Okay. It's a jacket. It's a puffer jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and he had blonde hair and a thick mustache. Patrick had spotted the man leaving the house carrying a garbage bag. The man actually spoke to Patrick as they crossed paths, saying something about, like, leaving a little early this morning as he opened the door to his white Chevette. Patrick worked with the forensics team to come up with a sketch of the suspect. Uh, the Eastburn Children's babysitter also spoke to police about a series of, oh my god, suspicious phone calls. There comes the lisp. Um... <laughs> that Catherine had been receiving the house had received prank calls for months leading up to the murders uh the calls yeah the calls started off innocent enough just like uh like hanging up when they pick up kind of thing is your refrigerator Uh, running yeah i worked at a duck cleaning company for like a week and someone called and they were like can i get a quote for like my ducks cleaning like oh you would like your ducks cleaning he's like hold on let me check hey guys do you want to get cleaned quack 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 and i was like wow you're so fucking funny (laughs) you think about that all day anyways uh that was a repressed rant (laughs) so the calls started off innocent enough but they grew into threats of violence Catherine believed she had a stalker uh the final call came just three days before the murder though it wasn't threatening like the others it was just like something that the babysitter remembered Uh, a woman named angela called in regards to the newspaper ad about the dog angela hennis who was tim's wife the babysitter said she took down a note with the woman's name and phone number but no such note was found on the scene a few days after the murders angela and tim were watching tv when the report on the murders aired they were shocked to see tim's white chevette on the news so tim wanted to set the story straight he drove down to the police station the same day and gave his account of the interaction between him and Catherine. He told them that they went to pick up the dog, or sorry, that he went to pick up the dog on Tuesday, two days before the murders took place. After that, he had taken his daughter and wife to visit family out of town, suspicious, and they stayed behind while he went home alone, meaning he didn't have an alibi for the night of the murders. Uh, He let the detectives take fingerprints, saliva, hair, and blood samples, and officers put his photo into a lineup for Patrick to choose from, so Patrick was the first witness. Uh, So they placed Tim's photo between five other images of other men, and Patrick immediately picked Tim out as a suspect. Hmm. Um, Because law, Tim was released after several hours of questioning, and he drove home. Uh, there was no real, like, solid evidence that would allow them to hold him, so they let him go while they waited for DNA results. Uh, His police... wife was probably like, oh, my God, you're innocent. You have to go, like, clear your shit up. And he was just like, yeah, fuck! Was... Yeah, no, that was exactly it. He's like, fuck, 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 like, the whole way there. <laughs> He's like, maybe if I offer up everything, they won't think it's weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, so police kind of like figured they had their suspect though, and they begin to like interview people around him in his life. So Tim's neighbors reported seeing him burning items in a barrel outside of his home for five hours one day. So he just stood there sort of like poking the fire to ensure it burned all the way down. 
uh, for five fucking hours. That's insane. <laughs> he read that line already. Uh, neighbors said they had never seen the family have a fire in their backyard before, so they found the behavior odd. Tim's dry cleaner also came forward and told the police that Tim had come in the day after the murders to have his jacket cleaned, his members-only jacket. Uh, when questioned, Tim's landlord told... Landlord? Oh, yeah. Sorry. I confused myself. Um, when, Chris, when questioned, Tim's landlord told police that Tim was late with his rent that month. He owed $345 and was suddenly able to pay a few days after the deadline. The huh. day after the murders. Was it paid in cash? Because Reminder, yeah, the Eastburns were missing $300 from their home. Uh, so Tim was arrested and charged with rape and three counts of murder in the first degree. He refused to take a plea deal, insisting that he did not commit these horrific murders. The DNA results came back while he was in custody, but all of the results were inconclusive. It was only 1985, so DNA technology wasn't great. Um right. Yeah, so even more damning evidence came forward, though, that kind of helped push the case. Um, as I mentioned, Catherine's bank card and pin were stolen from the house. There was a withdrawal recorded the day after her death. A woman who had used an ATM that same day said she saw a man using the ATM at the same time and place where Catherine's card was traced to. This man was tall, blonde, and had a mustache. I swear she- ATMs are supposed to have cameras on them. Did they in 85, though? I have no idea. i'm just just assuming they do now they for sure do now for that reason um so when shown an image the witness said she was certain the man she saw was tim hennis nearly a year after the murders the case had finally been brought in front of a judge uh the jury was shown all of the evidence and told while none of the physical evidence technically matched him he was definitely still the killer Uh, The jury seemed to agree that all of the circumstantial evidence was enough, and Tim was found guilty on all charges. He was sent to Raleigh, Raleigh, North Carolina. Another one I forgot to look up. See, I always feel like I'm saying the Southern name wrong because they say it with an accent. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mimic it. I'm not. (laughs) You'll butcher it. Um, He was, he was sent to there to serve his sentence and he was put on death row naturally this case does not end here um tim's family as i was gonna say this is too simple yeah this is much too simple um tim's family as well as some members of the general public clung to the fact that none of the dna was conclusive and also pointed out that the persecution left out one glaring piece of evidence there were footprints found outside of the home that were three whole sizes smaller than tim's and this was never brought up in the court proceedings at all so tim and his lawyers began to prepare for an appeal based on simply that okay um while this appeal was being prepared, Tim received a strange letter in prison. It read, quote, Dear Mr. Hennis, I did the crime. I murdered the Eastbirds. Sorry you're doing the time. I'll be safely out of North Carolina when you read this. Thanks, Mr. X. What you a sure? dick. Who the fuck? <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh. <laughs> Sucks to suck, buddy. Um, the sheriff's office also received a letter from the unknown writer, uh, but many investigators and like members of the community believed this was a hoax created by Tim's legal team, but the legal team insisted that this was proof that Tim was innocent. Um, in 1988, Tim Hennis's appeal was ready to go back to court, and their main defense... I keep scrolling too far. Their main defense was that the trial was unfair due to the persecution's manipulation of the jury. So there was a slideshow of crime scene photos that they had presented to the jury. And the the defense said that it was completely discrimi- discriminatory <laughs> against their... Why did I put that fucking word? Against their client. Um, so the images of the victims both on the crime scene and during autopsy were in this slideshow. And the defense... Well, I say it like there's sports team the defense uh believed that they were simply too graphic and the nature of the crime persuaded the jury to convict him of guilt even without solid evidence so their their thing was like uh they're trying to say it was like psychologically proven that like if people look at graphic children or graphic children graphic images especially involving children they're just like we have to convict somebody anybody so like they would have they're convicted grabbing him. At, like straws at that point yeah exactly yeah. so a bit of a weird defense but it uh it worked the judge somehow agreed with this even though juries see that kind of shit like every day so uh, tim was given a new trial and it was moved 90 miles away to ensure it was fair 
Uh, the same year, the North Carolina Supreme Court ruled that f- uh, photographic presentations in court should be limited to, like, not cause prejudice amongst jurors. And they actually named it the Hennis Test for Excess. So you have what? to, like, pass a test with your presentation to make sure it's not, like, graphic for the sake of being graphic. This is my PowerPoint. Yeah, literally. Um, Do you like rate it out of 10 if it's graphic? Like, how does that work? I don't, I guess. I guess it just gets rejected if it's too graphic. Like, I don't if, know. Like, some stuff is, like, people have different levels of graphic. Like, some people can, like, yeah, be like, so, I can see everything, and that's not graphic to me, where I'm like, you have a cut on your finger, I'm going to die. <laughs> I'm going to pass out. <laughs> um, I think it it has to be, like, relevant to argument like you can't just be like look at how awful this crime scene is like, like it you has have to, to be, be like sh- like pointing something out in the picture kind of thing okay. i'm fairly sure that's what it said okay um like I, it still doesn't make sense to me i don't know whatever law never makes sense to me um the defense immediately went on the uh the attack by trying to discredit the witnesses in the case so patrick Cohn was put back on the stand first they brought in a meteorologist and a helicopter pilot who told the jury that the night of the murders it was really overcast and dark out and patrick would have found it difficult to see the man properly um Patrick had been in trouble with the law again between the two trials, and this fact was also brought up against him. Uh, in the end, they ended up casting, like, a large shadow of doubt over his story, um, which I, I hate when they do that. Like, his crime has nothing to do with this case, but it seemed to work. Um, Can you next imagine thing- being, like, discredited by a fucking helicopter pilot? Yeah, seriously. (laughs) It was one of those situations where they were like, so the meteorologist said it was cloudy. The helicopter pilot said it was cloudy, but you're saying you could see the guy? And he's like, well, like, I guess it was kind of dark out. Like, maybe I couldn't see him. Like, yeah, it was on the ground, not in the fucking sky. Yeah, literally. So next they brought back the woman from the ATM machine. Uh, By the time the police had tracked her down, Tim Hedis had been on like the television and in newspapers all over the country. And she could have easily like picked his face out of a crowd due to his newfound fame. Or maybe Uh, because she fucking saw him. Literally. So they tried to say like, um, you can't say that's for sure who you saw because you've seen his face so much now. Um, (laughs) Yes, it is. Because I saw him. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then the defense spoke to the dry cleaner. They confirmed that no special chemicals were used in cleaning the jacket to remove bloodstains. So in theory, the blood should still be on the jacket. To prove their point, the defense poured blood on another jacket. I did not clarify or look into what kind of blood it was. And I just thought about it now. Like, are they pouring human blood onto this jacket? Or is it probably like a cow? (laughs) Like we're going authentic. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So they found another jacket, poured blood on it and cleaned it. Um, and, like, even using, like, regular laundry chemicals and stuff, the luminol test showed blood on the prop jacket. So they did the same test to Tim's jacket, and the luminol test didn't show any signs of blood. Granted, this is several years later, and we don't know how many times he had washed his jacket after that one trip to the dry cleaner. Like, there's so many, like, yeah holes there. I didn't like this test. Also, um, could he have, like, more than one jacket? possible i i feel like this was stored in evidence though like they took it out of evidence kind of thing okay um so the evidence found at the eastburn's home was also brought up who did the hair blood and footprints belong to the burnt remains from tim's barrel at home were also collected and tested and nothing was found there either so there was just too many plot holes and that was what the defense was trying to bring up um and as their kind of last big move uh they brought a witness to the stand who was not present at the first trial uh, I forgot to look up this name too. John Rappo lived a few streets down from the Eastburns and he had a habit of walking the streets at night when he couldn't sleep. Why is this important? Well, it turns out that John was basically Tim's doppelganger, which was a huge shock to everyone in the courtroom that day. The cherry on top, John recalled going on one of his walks the night of the murder, wearing a members only jacket. So the defense believed he was the man that the first witness saw that morning, not Tim. However, the car. <laughs> like, yeah, everyone just he... forgot the fucking car. <laughs> Does he drive the same car too? Yeah, I don't know. Um, So John told the jury that the police had interviewed him and when they realized how similar he looked to their suspect, they allegedly like took his jacket and his hat to hide from the defense and only gave it back to 
him when tim was safely in prison allegedly this seems really fishy to me and i don't believe it like i know policemen are fishy but like this guy suddenly shows up and suddenly the police are acting shady with him so that the defense gets their way i don't know too much for me um as gary eastburn watched on with his only surviving daughter Jana, the jury came back with a not guilty verdict for all charges tim hennis left the court that day with his daughter and his wife he was a free man uh tim rejoined the army receiving back pay for the years he'd spent in prison in 1990 he was sent to saudi arabia for operation desert shield he returned home after a stint in somalia and received medals for his duty and his service in 2004 tim retired as a master sergeant and found himself a job at a waste facility in washington where the family was now living wait 2004 dna dna what's that it's 2004 dna (laughs) (laughs) she knows she knows all my plot twists by now (laughs) Um, he spent his years leading a normal life and spent most of his time as a leader of his new son's scout group so like the family had gone on to have a son Um, horrible it was the happy ending the hennis family had hoped for except the story still isn't over uh in 2006 gary eastburn received a call from one of the detectives on his wife's case the detective explained how explained he didn't he explain. He just he explained, explained it. it. He explained it. Uh, <laughs> he explained how technology had advanced in the years since his wife's death and that they ran evidence found on the scene once more. This time they found a match. The semen that was found in Catherine's body was a 100% match to Tim Hennis. Ha. Huh. Dun, dun, dun. DNA, While this DNA. news was exciting and seemingly the end of Gary's nightmare, they now face the problem of double jeopardy, which, by the way, that was like my favorite movie when I was a kid. I've never seen um, it. I don't even know what it is. I don't remember it because I don't think I've watched it since I was a kid, but like this this girl gets like accused of killing her husband, but she didn't do it. And then she gets out and finds him alive still so she could kill him again because she can't get charged twice for the same murder. So she just kills him. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? You can't, so double jeopardy, you can't be tried in the court for the same t- crime yeah. twice. So she was already tried and put to jail for killing her husband, but she didn't do it. And he was still alive. He like faked his own death oh. to put her in jail. So when she got out of jail, she fucking found him. <laughs> oh, okay. Julia Roberts is in it. It's great. Check it out. I just watched um, Jeopardy and there was a double jeopardy. And regular Jeopardy. Jeopardy. So. <laughs> <laughs> you're so funny no this kind of double jeopardy is not as fun no it Um, doesn't sound like it so because tim had already been tried for the murder of the eastbourne family the law states that he cannot be tried again for the same crime however tim hennis was in the military and they have their own court system because fuck your rules that's why military just do so the army called tim back to active duty and he was charged once again with the three murders in their courts which i fucking loved that they were like no 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 he's not getting away with this um on march 17th 2010 the trial for tim hennis began in in the fort bragg courthouse tim sat through the trial for the third time now in his mid-50s the same evidence was brought forward from before but now they had the confirmed match for the male dna found on scene and the defense just couldn't wiggle their way out of it their best argument was to imply that an affair had been taking place between Tim and Catherine and that they had consexual, consexual, <laughs> they had consensual sex before the murder took place. Uh, they said that a young wife living apart for her husband for so long simply couldn't help but cave when a handsome man answered her newspaper ad. Um, with, that a, went hor- with a huge mustache, a yellow mustache. I don't think <laughs> yeah. so. They talked about like how handsome he is and all that. And I saw a picture of him and I was like, Eh. (laughs) he looks terrible he sounds terrifying yeah um so this went horribly for two reasons one it was army court the jury was full of officers who had been away from their wives for a long time they were pretty offended at the suggestion (laughs) like they're kind of implying that all of their wives are sleeping around on them um and tim himself refused to admit to said affair he would rather be charged with rape and murder than admit to cheating on his wife which is i guess admirable i guess um, like they're just like literally making up a story that's so annoying. yeah yeah no they were trying they were basically just trying t- to play defense yeah literally they're like well this came up um i know an affair um you have to be a whole different person to be a defense lawyer i couldn't do it um i, I highly recommend watching how to get away with murder for like it it's uh fictional but it shows like a really cool look on that like they really are just soulless they really yeah. just have to like block everything out they but then no they like go home and have a normal life like <laughs> 
it's just I weird. I couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, no. I cry too much. <laughs> um, I feel like you're a- fucking guilty. Sorry, bud. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to work out. Yeah. <laughs> um, on April 3rd, 2010, the jury took three hours to decide on their verdict. Tim Hennis was once again found guilty on all charges. He was sentenced to a dishonorable bit to a dishonorable discharge from the army and also death uh he was transferred (laughs) and also death we're taking your medals Um, and you get death exactly uh he was transferred to fort leavenworth in kansas where he still resides today uh he's the only person who's been tried three times um and apparently it's unlikely that he'll actually be put to death because you need like a presidential approval to carry out military executions. This hasn't happened since the 1960s, so they're kind of just expecting him to serve a life sentence there. Yeah. Um so he applied for appeal as recently as February 2020, <laughs> but the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces rejected his request. Good. Gary Eastburn spoke at the sentencing back in 2010. Uh, He told the court how he had taken Jana to England in 1988, as the family had planned to do. While living there, he he met a nurse named Liz, who he ended up marrying. The family later moved back to the U.S., where they'd been living quietly until the trial came up. Um, While on the stand, he was asked what he missed most about his family, to which he replied, them. I miss being with them. Um, and Gary spoke to the author of the article that I used from the New Yorker, and he gave quite the heartbreaking quote. And me being me, I wanted to end off with it. Of course. So this did. is <laughs> this is direct from the New Yorker quote. Uh, so this is from the author's point of view quote. He told me that though he had almost put the murders behind him, he sensed that things weren't over yet. Uh, uh, Gary quote. I would just like to see him rot away in jail. He says of Hennis. I don't feel any burning desire to have him hanged or shot or whatever they do. I just want him in jail without a possibility of parole. He paused. If this quote, I'm really bad at this quote. If his appeal is granted, they might have to drag me back. I think three trials is probably enough for me. If there's a fourth, I wouldn't have much extra left. That's really sad. I couldn't imagine living through that. Like once is enough. I like that he also thought the death penalty is shooting somebody, but... Yeah, he's like, I don't fucking know what they do. I just don't care. (laughs) And you know what's the most annoying thing about all of this? Is, like, Mm -hmm. he went there and killed them and then took their dog. Right? Isn't that fucked up? Yeah. Like... And apparently Dixie fit in quite well in the new home. I fucking hate (laughs) that. I hate that. Yeah. uh, No, that, yeah. Really fucked up case. There's still a lot of people, like, um, I always like to read Reddit threads when I do research to see if there's anything that's not, like, in big articles. And there's still, to this day, lots of people that are like, no, there's too many plot holes. Like, he could still be innocent. But, like... There's literally DNA. Yeah. And he already said that he didn't cheat on his wife. So how is his semen in her? Yeah. I don't know. People are still clinging to it. I believe Tim Hennis himself is still clinging to it, saying he's innocent. But, like his dna was literally in the victim like it he he did it yeah that's so crazy the only theory i can think of is that maybe there was a second person that's why there was like the other set of foot uh footprints or whatever yeah. maybe what when you said it was like three sizes smaller right yeah his wife maybe i was like could it be female maybe they originally said they couldn't have the dog oh my god i'm just i literally just thought of this right now maybe she was like no you can't have my dog so they came back after and took the dog and killed them and then they couldn't kill the yeah. baby. Uh, one of the also, one of yeah, the articles why didn't I read, he kill the baby. One of the articles I read said it was something like uh, a lot of killers have a hard time killing babies that are like still like crib age. So like she was found in her crib. Uh, so he they killed the five year old and the three year old no problem. But when they got to the like the nursery, it's too like infant like like they're like humans still have that like we must protect babies thing. I yeah. guess um so it's actually quite common in a lot of like family annihilators where like the babies will be left alive even though everyone else in the house is killed yeah it's it's literally it's literally like um uh halloween yeah exactly exactly literally like a halloween (laughs) yeah uh but yeah the case bothered me like the murders bothered me but i loved 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 the court system here which very rare (laughs) very rare uh for me to say that i don't love the second trial but i love that the army court stepped up and we're like "Uh uh-uh we got this like i thought that was so fucking cool (laughs) we're gonna handle this guys we got it yeah that's absolutely crazy also fuck defense lawyers sorry Uh, yeah (laughs) you gotta be a special kind of person like i love money but i don't know if i love money that much and not like defense lawyers in terms of like petty stuff i mean defense lawyers that are defending like these kind of murders 
It's so hard because, like, especially when they're, like, publicly appointed, like, from the courts and everything, like, a lot of them don't even really think their people are innocent. Yeah. Um, there's like, a lot I'm of them that job. even just try to get them lesser sentences. Yeah. Where they're like, okay, like, you're fucking going to jail, bro, but, like, let's try to not get you the death penalty. Yeah. So, like, that's like, an yeah. aspect. But it's just, yeah, I don't know. Some of them the are just whole... slimy. What's that? Some of them are just slimy. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like, for those sure. Ones were slimy. The fucking, the one in the Chauvin trial, like, uh, oh. I just didn't like the phrases he used. Like, when he said something about, like, lying like he was at the beach or something, I was like, you fucking dirtbag. Like, he's, yeah, he's slimy as fuck. You know how I also lay at the beach? Like. Anyways, that's another rant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's for another time. Yeah. <laughs> but if you want to come discuss this fucking crazy case, like, mine, I don't even remember what I talked about today. This case is just <laughs> blowing my mind. But yeah, if you want to come discuss this crazy case with us, we have Instagram. It's a spooky hour podcast. You can find us on Twitter at spooky hour and you can email us the spooky hour podcast 666 at gmail.com. Before we go, I've been annoying you guys a lot about clicking the save button on our post because Instagram fucked up the algorithm. Um, and a lot of you are doing it. So I just want to say thanks for that. Thank <laughs> we went you. from having like zero saves to like one post, which is not big, but we had like 13 saves on one post. And I was like, damn, they're listening. What's a save? So- Danielle, uh there's like a little have you seen the little like bookmark looking icon at the bottom yeah that so for some reason (laughs) that okay that and sending the posts is the new like way they pick up traction i guess so likes are now like the least important okay so it doesn't matter how many likes you get you just want people to send your posts i get i don't know i'm trying to keep up and i just like i'm just laughing we have a nice little fan group it's fun i'm just (laughs) laughing because i have one saved i guess it's called saved i thought it was called bookmark but it was like this one thing (laughs) video and it's this little girl on like this little toy like movie car thing in her house and she's like going down the hallway in confidence and then (laughs) hits the wall and smacks her head (laughs) that's the only video i saved because i think it's just so funny this is how danielle uses social media you guys (laughs) oh my god but have a wonderful week keep saving our posts (laughs) stay spooky spooky. (laughs) 